1: Now, I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new?
2: What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina. And for this very special Trade Deadline Megapod, I'm joined on the other line by my good friends and Sports Illustrated colleagues, Rohan Nadgarni, Howard Beck, and Chris Mannix. Uh, given how special today has been, we decided to join forces and record two episodes. The first, this one here that you are listening to right now, will cover the Trade Deadline's winners. And then over on the Crossover NBA show feed, we'll be taking a long, hard look at some of the deadline's biggest losers. Uh, Before we start, a quick reminder to all of our listeners to please keep your emails coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. I expect uh, great questions for next week's shows, especially any about why Rohan's Miami Heat decided to sit on their hands while everyone else in the Eastern Conference got better. Um, okay, guys, so there were, by my count, 15 trades over the past week, uh, but we are not going to bury the lead here. James Harden and Paul Millsap are now on the Philadelphia 76ers, and Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks are headed to the Brooklyn Nets. It's kind of a big deal. Um, I'm just going to start by kicking this to you, Howard, Um, who involved in this transaction is a winner in your eyes? Because I, I honestly do not know the answer to this question.
3: Um I'm gonna feel like that uh like annoying, like modern-day camp counselor who just hands out trophies to everyone and ribbons says, We're all winners, kids. Everyone's a winner. They're seriously, like Ben Simmons won, he got out of Philly. James Harden won, he got to Philly. The Nets won, they got a younger player who fills some really glaring needs like defense. The Sixers won. They solved their Ben Simmons problem and got one of the greatest scorers of all time to pair with Joel Embiid. Like you, we can quibble about the order of events or order uh, ranking who won more. I think Daryl Morey won hugely, absolutely 100% vindicated in deciding I ain't trading Ben Simmons for your sack of beans. I'm holding out for a star. (laughs) I want Harden or Lillard or Beal. Oh, guess what? He got one of them. The only one that's healthy at the moment. So, uh, like, everybody won in this. If I'm ranking them, I'm putting Daryl Morey at the top because he was under a lot of pressure and a lot of criticism for holding out and for holding fast to the idea that he could not, would not trade Ben Simmons if he didn't get a star in return. Uh, But you know after that look i i think for the nets this is this is a phenomenal move because harden was obviously sulking ben simmons fortifies their defense or or gives them a defense in a way that that they badly needed if they can just get kyrie irving on the court a little more often i don't know if that's happening anytime soon but kyrie and kevin durant providing all the scoring and simmons being the glue as a playmaker and incredibly versatile defender i think makes them more dangerous than they were at their best with those uh, with the previous threesome together. Though granted, we barely ever got to see that.
4: Can, can I can I push back on? And I haven't had as many sips out of the Daryl Morey Kool Aid that Howard has <laughs> over the last uh, twenty four hours. He won. Or so <laughs> are we sure that he won? Like he got the guy that he wanted. I'll give you that. Um, and he did hold out longer than maybe other general managers would. But how sure are we that James Harden at 32 years old, be 33 next season, who is about to be signed to a contract that's going to run five years and pay him $270 million? He'll be making 60 something million in the last year of that deal at age 38. And none other than one of the most reasonable people in this business I know, Bobby Marks, called that the. Going to be the worst contract in NBA history. So we're already <laughs> predicting that in year four and five of this deal, that contract is going to be the worst in NBA history. I'm, look, Howard, you're on paper. It looks great, right? James Harden, great score. Pair with Joel Embiid. I keep hearing all this stuff about how well they're going to fit. I don't know who's, how, where we're gleaning that from. I'm not exactly sure, like where that insight is necessarily coming from. But I'm not convinced that the Sixers who are already one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, would not have been better off with some kind of John Collins, Bogdan Bogdanovic, draft pick-centric package that would have boosted them significantly in the short term and given them the kind of assets they gave to Brooklyn to get this hardened deal done. So, look, wh- where I think you're right about the Sixers and Daryl Morey is that they got exactly what they wanted. I'm just not convinced what they wanted is the right thing.
5: Um, I, I hesitate to form an alliance with Mannix this early in the podcast, <laughs> but I, I've been you on team. This. I've been on team. They should go get multiple guys for a long time. I think that building a, a team around Embiid is not like building a team around other superstars in the NBA just because of how unique he is in terms of his post-ups and how difficult it is for There's nobody in the league. There's not a team in the league that has somebody to guard Embiid that does not help hurt them on the other end of the floor. Uh, And I'm with Chris. I I do think Maury won. I'm with you, Howard, in the sense that he got the guy he wanted. I've been saying all season there's no way they're going to get a star. This is crazy. Trade him to the Kings. Get on with it already. And, I mean, they unquestionably traded Simmons for, at the worst, a top 20 player right now. I'm with Chris. Uh, in terms of the the fit, I, I don't know uh, how that's going to work. Mike wrote about that this week. I, to me, the big winner from this trade is Ben Simmons, uh, who kind of just fell into a situation. I mean, there's talk to him. He could have ended up in Sacramento. He could have ended up in Indianapolis. He ends up on the nets where he's going to be the third option. The, the sword is always going to fall on Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant, not him. And he gets to play freely. I, I think he's a, a huge winner in all of this.
4: And Wait, one thing Ro, I Ro, just, hold on,
5: look, hold, on Ro, hold on like this is another
4: one where i'm I'm like still my mind's a little bogged here like
3: <laughs> Ben Bro, simmons, just decided to side with you and you're gonna throw uh, him under uh, the, the bus the, the, the his right, you said i was Never, gonna regret it and you were
4: right don't trust Maddox. he lost me on the simmons part like okay <laughs> simmons gets what he wanted i guess though i think deep down ben simmons like would have been happier in orlando than he would have been in in, in a on a contending team it's just kind of the the way I'm the read I'm getting off this guy right now. He's going to go to to Brooklyn eventually in the next month or so, whatever. Hopefully sooner. He'll be in that starting lineup. They'll get to the playoffs, and it's the same damn thing. Like it's not like I don't think he spent the last two months improving his jump shot and going to be a better playoff performer.
5: He's just going to have instead of Joel Embiid to play off of Kevin Durant and fifty yes, percent of Kyrie but, Irving. But that is a massive difference. I mean, that's elite spacing that he never had in Philly. I mean, he's not going to be playing with the traditional. Listen, Simmons, yeah, is, an in uh, he, Simmons he had, is an awkward fit. Simmons is an awkward fit. He
2: had space. But, he had space. Oh, come on. come
5: on! It's not the same as Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It's nowhere close. Simmons is an awkward fit on a lot of teams. He's the most awkward fit on a team with a traditional back to the basket center. I, I mean, it could not have been a worse fit. I, I think immediately it becomes a better fit overnight, especially if they're playing. They were the Simmons number one the team in the Eastern Conference last year. How was it like they were the best team in the league last year the conference? <laughs> Listen, Rohan's we can flustered. just put aside the Simmons thing here for a second. <laughs> I just want to say I feel like an <laughs> under-discussed aspect of this deal is that these two teams are rivals. There's a very good chance they see each other in the playoffs. Yes, and I, I just am—I'm not seeing a lot of discussion on one of these teams could end up massively regretting, either creating, you know, possibly creating their biggest competition in the conference.
3: Maybe, but. Look, neither of them had a way out of this that was, that, mm-hmm. like, that was clean. Um, they could have both just tried to keep their powder dry and wait to the offseason, but then all the stuff that Daryl Morey was being accused of, wasting a year of Embiid's prime, wasting an, an MVP season of his, then that would have really come uh, to fruition and that would have fallen hard on him if the Sixers you know, flamed out, say, in the second round or something. So getting it done now... Even if it's helping what might be your biggest rival, certainly among your biggest rivals, right? like if any any of us who are handicapping the East right now, the heat and the bucks are the two easy ones because they've also got stability. Uh, the Sixers and the Nets are now works in progress at midseason so I put them down a notch, but yeah, they're among the other grouping of top teams in the east. and and you're right, Rowan. like that it's very rare that we get to have the referendum on a trade be so direct. Where we swap superstars, we're the same division and the same conference, and we have to deal with each other. And it, it might not be a referendum that's settled this spring. It might be next year, two years, three years. It may be when the Sixers are ultimately regretting the massive, awful contract that Mannix was describing while the Nets are retooling around Ben Simmons for another decade, right? Uh, because he's seven years younger than Harden. But that's part of what makes it so fascinating and part of why like, the biggest winner today is actually us. Like, pundits and fans, we all won. We got to see a a rare, spectacular blockbuster on trade deadline day involving some of the
2: biggest names and the biggest teams in the league. Like, yay us. (laughs) I guess, like, for me, I I just have a hard time picking a definitive winner because this trade, the magnitude is huge. It's an earthquake for both organizations. I acknowledge that. But it involves two stars who are unreliable, who are temperamental, <laughs> who are willing to disengage from professional responsibilities whenever they're I can't believe you're displeased. talking about Mannix and Ryan this way. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, fundamentally, I just have a hard time knowing who, quote unquote, won. I, I guess, like... You, beauty is in the eye of the beholder with regards to James Harden. I I don't know how closely I'm sure Daryl Morey has watched a lot of James Harden play basketball this season, but it's not like I would be lining up to give up, give up what I did to get him and then have the honor of paying him that contract that Mannix mentioned. And I did, I wrote about the fit between Harden and Embiid earlier this week Um Assuming that this trade was going to happen, and I just think there's a lot of question marks. Like I, I, I think there's a lot of question marks with the roster. You just lost Seth Curry, who's your, your greatest spacer. Tyrese Maxey was your third best player probably this season, and his strengths are entirely redundant now that Harden's on the team. Um, Tobias Harris is still there. I don't know really how he fits into all this. It's just like I, I and I could do, basically have the same. Line of thinking with the Nets and just how their roster looks right now and who they're closing five is. I just, I just don't know if there's a winner, I guess. And I feel like I'm being really negative about it, but it's a huge trade. I just don't know if anyone walks out of it like super pumped about their situation.
3: Okay, but let me just ask you this. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, just, just a question, Mike.
2: And for anybody who's who's got some skepticism
3: about this, how often do we see a, a blockbuster of this magnitude or players of this magnitude change teams and feel like it's a a a, a grand slam and that it's and that it's a a an obvious seamless fit, definite win, no other adjustments? Like it's it occasionally happens where we think, no question. We I have but. Every deal that involves a player of that caliber, especially high usage players, is going to require a certain amount of skepticism and adjustment. So, yeah, we can raise a bunch of questions, and you've raised a bunch of fair ones, even in your column that anticipated this deal earlier this week. But um, I think if your starting points are Harden and Embiid, and their skill sets absolutely can mesh, which I'm sure we'll get into, I, I, I think I think the Sixers made a great deal. I mean, it's they're always qualifiers.
5: I just want to throw a little bit more water on it while we're in that stage of this trade. Um, I'm, you know, one thing I'll say, Mike laid out the on-court fits. If you just look at James Harden's career, first it was Dwight Howard, then it was Chris Paul, then it was Russell Westbrook, then it was Kevin Durant. A lot of these situations he engineered himself and every single time, almost every single time, he's left those partnerships on bad terms. And I, to me, I'm, I'm a little bit, Curious if it's going to be a personality fit with Embiid. Embiid's taken ownership of that team this season. I, I think he's the unquestioned leader. We've seen Harden in back-to-back years now just kind of blow up, you know, play out of shape when things aren't going his way. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about the the personality fit, maybe just as much as I am the on-court fit. But by, by the way, if like they skid a little bit and Tyrese
4: Maxey starts to struggle. Philadelphia is going to turn on hard and very quickly. They, they love Tyrese Maxey out there. Like they look at him as the homegrown guy that wanted to be there. When Ben Simmons didn't took Ben Simmons role and has played exceptionally well in it in year two of his career. So I, I'm with Mike there. Like, it seems kind of redundant. The, the skill sets that they now have. And I'm very curious to see how they fit uh, in a backcourt, but just one thing on, on the nets. Like if Kyrie Irving, Ever had, like, was ever spiteful, maybe he is, and had a reason to get vaccinated, <laughs> like this would be it. Like, would this not be like the ultimate fuck you to James Harden? Like, seriously, like, if, just, if like tomorrow he gets vaccinated and he's out there, let me tell you, like, I don't think they miss much of a beat because of the defensive skills of Simmons with full time Kyrie, Durant, and Simmons out there. In fact, Simmons probably helps them because you can just throw him on, say, perhaps James Harden in the playoffs and have him defend. Defend there, so I'm, i you know, I don't know if, if that's in Kyrie, but like, you know, if he's just like, fuck it, I'm gonna get the Johnson and Johnson shot, and I'm out there ready to go. <laughs> like, I, like that. That would be such a spite move. I,
3: I I I admire the creativity it took Maddox to get there, but we all know that ain't happening. Kyrie's, you know, far too uh immersed. I'm rooting in, for it. I'm yeah, absolutely
5: rooting for it. It
3: it would be it would be fun, but it, it's not happening. But I will say, listen, once Kyrie is out there, let's say that you know whatever. The, the pandemic finally recedes to the point where society returns to normal before the end of the season. Let's all hope that happens, irrespective of the the Nets and, and Kyrie, for, for ourselves. But the world returns to normal. The law goes away. Kyrie's a 100% player. Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons, and having Seth Curry uh, now to help space the floor and, and and hit at a high rate from three, which they lost with Joe Harris out all season— they're better now. The Nets are actually better than they were when they first acquired Harden, I believe. And I know the numbers were off the charts for the handful of games that the, the that the that big 3 played together, but we never got to see it fully tested, and the defense was always going to be a concern. Um you've got more than enough firepower with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and some shooting. Ben Simmons giving them a, a defensive dimension and versatility that they just did not have. I think overall upgrades them and you know, like it's, it's amazing that the, that the Nets found themselves in this spot to begin with, because it's, it's, this is not the path they chose. This is the, the path they were forced into, but they actually improved by doing it. You know, just real quick, like forget Kyrie
4: getting the vaccination. Like let's say the Nets play the six in the first round. So the, the, it falls that way there. Like, you want to see Eric Adams sew up re-election like three months into his first term? <laughs> just be like, you know what? COVID numbers are down. Kyrie's getting tested every day. We're going to let him... I'm going to make an exception for Barclays there.
3: <laughs> I can see that happening. That's for you're, sure. You're 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 assuming an awful lot on the part of uh, voters overlapping with Nets fans, of which there are... a. Yeah,
4: but they're sports fans. They're sports fans in New York. The, I will, and they, I will and just... they hate
3: being spited.
4: And they don't yeah. like... You know, James Harden said, you know, I don't want to be here. Uh, I can see a scenario where
5: uh, Kyrie's allowed to play. I just want to throw out that I think the Nets now match up better with every team in the East except Philly. I think they still don't have anyone to guard Embiid. It's going to have to be Blake Griffin or LaMarcus Aldridge. But if they Whoa, whoa, go small whoa. Andre Drummond,
2: the Joel Embiid stopper. Come on, <laughs> yeah, bro.
5: Exactly, yeah. If, uh, if they go small with Simmons at the five and you got Kyrie, Durant, Patty Mills, and then you pick another role player to put in that lineup. Seth Curry. I think Seth Curry, yeah. Whether it's Curry, whether they want size with James Johnson, if Joe Harris actually ever gets healthy, I, I think they're going to match up really well against every team in the East except Philly.
3: But that said, like think about who the Nets are going to have to contend with in the East. And they now have Ben Simmons to throw at Giannis. They now have Ben Simmons to throw at Jimmy Butler. They could throw him at Bam Adebayo, too. Uh, they, could, they could throw... They They did not have that... Like, Kevin Durant can guard a lot of guys, but Kevin Durant is up there in years, and you don't want to burn him out uh, with the toughest defensive assignments, given how much you need his 30, 35 points a night in the playoffs. Having been the luxury of Ben Simmons, who can guard one through five, who can take on elite bigs and smalls, and you're going to have some in- incredible talents to have to get through in the playoffs... like. What a phenomenal luxury! Like, and all that. This is the th- this was the part of the conversation that we all lost while we were talking about Ben Simmons sulking and sitting out, or about his shooting and his reluctance to shoot. Was the guy is a perennial Defensive Player of the Year candidate who can guard one through five, and who just as Draymond Green almost single handedly makes the Warriors an elite defensive team. And Rudy Gobert does for Utah, Simmons can do that for whatever team he's with. And I, I just I just think the Nets could be incredible.
2: So I, I just really want to quickly like Ben Simmons was on the floor in game seven of the second round series against the Atlanta Hawks. And presuming that Seth Curry is going to be in these closing lineups as well. What is stopping Kevin Herder from demolishing Seth Curry again in a situation like that? So I hear what you're saying. I don't <laughs> want to discount Ben Simmons as a terrific defensive player. I think he's one of the best on-ball defense defenders in the league. But like, I don't think he can solve a team's Whoa. woes if you have the, the 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 weak points that they will with. They're going to have to close on uh, games that are at Barclays that Kyrie is not going to participate in. You're going to have to close with like Patty Mills. And Seth Curry and, uh, you know, they Kessler just made DeAndre Bembry. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, like, you, you, Rohan mentioned James Johnson. It's like you can't really play James Johnson and Ben Simmons at the same time. So it is it, – it is uh, I see a lot of issues um, with the personnel there still. And, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, they, they cleared the roster spot with Bembry, like I just said. We'll see if they can sign someone new, but I just see a lot of holes with this team. And this is also assuming that Ben Simmons looks like he's an all NBA player again, when the guy, we have no idea where he's at as a human being, as a basketball player. So I I think there's a lot of assumptions being made. And I I feel very pessimistic. I hope I'm not like a negative Nancy in this conversation, but I just, I I can't get too excited about either side making this trade.
3: (laughs) Look, if you're asking me who's going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm picking the Bucks and the Heat right now over the Nets and Sixers because partially for th- concerns that you raised and partially just because there's just a lot of questions and, and a lot of, of adjustments that have, need to be made, and it's rare to make a blockbuster midseason and then go to the finals. It just doesn't happen very often in league history, and the Sixers and Nets both have a bunch of stuff to figure out now. So it, it it's not necessarily blowing me away for their chances of winning a championship right now. I do just think that both teams won in the sense that they made themselves better for the foreseeable future and solved their problems.
5: I think Mike is saying that he would have rather seen either team acquire Derek White or Daniel Tyson instead of thousand percent. James Harden or Ben Simmons. It's just, it's dripping percent. off of him. That, that would have taken Brooklyn over the top for him, not adding an, a defensive player of the year candidate or or not adding a former MVP. Those were the, that was the kind of move he wanted to see them make.
4: I still can't believe you guys are just, underestimating the pettiness of Kyrie irving like, <laughs> he, like i'm telling you like I, I want this this audio frozen in time if he winds up get the shot next week and i want to run back if he gets it
5: within again. seven days or less you you certainly
0: deserve some kind of award there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip i'd like to check into the centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico,
2: I think now is a good time to transition off of this 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 move between the, the Nets and the Sixers. Uh, like I said at the top, there were 15 trades made over the past week. So a lot of winners, a lot of losers. Uh, Rohan, I know that you are writing a column for SI.com mm-hmm. on this very subject. Give us give us another winner besides um, the God, Brad Stevens, and the Boston Celtics. Give us another winner in your eyes. Well, one of the winners the I deadline.
5: have in my column is Brad Stevens' sycophant. So that's one right there. Um, another one I'm going with uh, It's actually a combo, and it's the Suns and Warriors, who I think have been in a class by themselves in the Western Conference so far this year. Obviously, neither of them made any big moves. Uh, the Suns got Torrey Craig, and
2: Hell yeah. the whole
5: Jalen Smith situation there was kind of a disaster. But uh, I think the Suns and Warriors are winners in the simple sense that nobody in the West, I think, got significantly better. Uh, Dallas, I think, made a strange move. Uh, it's more of like a insurance for the off-season type move than I think a move that makes them much better or raises their championship ceiling this year. Uh, I just think the Suns and Warriors are really fortunate. I I don't think anybody in the West uh, has come close. You look at the teams that uh, I think were most trying to get into that tier. The Nuggets didn't make a move. The Jabs had the Joe Ingles contract. That didn't end up materializing uh, into someone who they think is going to have an immediate impact right now. So I I think the Suns and Warriors got to be sitting back like, Hey, none of our competitors did anything that scares us. Uh, it still feels like a two-team race between us uh, in the West.
2: That's a fascinating observation, and I'm going to save my thoughts on some losers in the Western Conference <laughs> that kind of uh, bounce right off of that. Um, Mannix, give us give us a winner from the past week of activity.
4: You know, I I liked what Washington did at the deadline. They, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't working. Like his numbers with Bradley Beal were awful. And presuming the Wizards are going to give Beal that big extension in the big new deal in the offseason, then having Dinwiddie there didn't make a lot of sense. Didn't seem like he wanted to be there either, based on some of the public comments that he was making. Davis Berton's was an insane contract at the time and proved even more insane afterwards because. He could never build on that one season where he was just lights out from, from three point range. So getting off those contracts, I think was a good thing. And they become now the latest team to try and unlock Chris Porzingis and to find a way to win with him at the five or whatever position he's in. And now you see if Beal and Porzingis can be a successful tandem. You clear uh, two contracts off your books that you, you didn't need. And, uh, you know, maybe give yourself a little bit of flexibility down the line. So I thought, you know, it's not it doesn't push them anywhere right now because Beal's out and they're a lottery team and they'll have to add another young guy to the mix next season. But I like Porzingis with that group more than I like uh, Bertons and Dinwiddie.
2: Can I can I ask you a quick question, Mannix? Um, how excited do you think Bradley Beal was when he got the Woj bomb? that Chris Staps Porzingis was going to be his teammate likely for the next three, maybe four seasons. You know what? To if be honest, he, if like, he resigns.
4: I just think, well, I think Beal's going to resign. I think he wants the money. I don't think, I don't necessarily believe that Beal wants to be in D.C. long term. In fact, I kind of lean towards the opposite, but it's just like how Carmelo resigned with the Knicks. Like, I don't think Carmelo was in love with the idea of playing in that situation or with Phil Jackson, but he wanted the money. One of the five years. So, uh, I think Beal's committed to getting that full dollar figure
5: and much more than he is to whatever it is the Wizards put together. I, can I just say that I think on paper you could make the argument that they're not necessarily a better tandem, but Porzingis and Beal are a better fit than Porzingis and Luca ever were?
2: Porzingis I, I, and Beal are a better fit than Porzingis and Luca. Um, elaborate, please.
5: I just think that Porzingis got kind of sick being pigeonholed as just a pick and roll partner. Um, I, I think Beal's less ball dominant and more off ball movement. I, I think that that suits KP more than playing alongside someone like Luca. Like I said, I don't think on aggregate, they're more talented or anything like that, or that it's a necessarily a better use of what Chris Tepp should be ultimately. But I could see the two of them having some success together. And I think for now, Porzingis is assigned to only two more seasons After this one, I mean, the fact that they're not taking on a ton of long-term money considering the contracts they gave away, I'm with Mannix. I I really like that move. How else are they ever going to get a guy like that? I mean, it's worth a shot at least, right?
3: I mean, listen, it's a mixed bag. It's hard to get too excited for either side of this. They both just essentially, you know, got rid of mistakes, right? Uh, The Wizards offloaded two mistakes in terms of contracts. You know, they're good players, but just Mm -hmm. they overspent on Bertans. They overspent on Dinwiddie. For uh, uh, for the Mavericks' mistake of overspending on Porzingis, and you know whether this significantly moves the needle for either team, I'm not <laughs> sure. I really don't know what the it leaves them. like. The Mavericks have no front court. <laughs> I don't know what they are beyond you know their their collection of guards. Uh, the Wizards. I have no doubt. Listen, they have a strong relationship. Tommy Shepard and his front office have had a strong relationship with Bradley Beal and those they've been moving, I think, in, uh, if not lockstep, then at least in cooperation for the last couple of years. They've always known where each other stood. I am I would be reasonably confident in predicting that Bradley Beal was consulted before this deal was made. If the Wizards can somehow find the magic elixir or the, you know, whatever, superior medical... Uh, equipment, whatever it may be, that keeps Porzingis on the court. Porzingis' numbers in Dallas the last couple of years have been great when he's been on the court. Scores, rebounds, block shots. He may not have some of the mobility he had prior to a couple of knee surgeries. um, And he's not exactly the player he was when Durant called him a unicorn several years ago when he was a rookie with the Knicks. But he can do a lot. You just got to keep him on the court. And that's the part that is is you know the risk for the Wizards? Um, I, like I say, I just don't know that either team is is like significantly better off today than they were yesterday.
2: Yeah, I think you know Porzingis. I've been pretty pro Porzingis over the past year or two. Uh, he's, I mean, this year he's been one of the worst spot up three point shooters in basketball, which is unfortunate given the role that they need him to to fill. Particularly, you know, Jason Kidd is playing him more at the four. For defensive purposes and that's been successful but he just you know maybe the shot will come back I definitely agree with he needs to stay healthy obviously um contractually I like it for Dallas because um uh his deal I think it's 36 a 36 million dollar player option in 2024 um, they're getting off of that, which Porzingis is obviously gonna opt into that, and freeing up some money there because I think Spencer's contract is non-guaranteed and Berton's is only sixteen million. So you get a little bit of financial flexibility there. Um, I mean, uh, when we're talking winners in this deal, it's like just or just this this deadline, everybody who got out of Washington, um, <laughs> Montres Harrell, huge winner, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. Seemed like one of the most miserable players in the entire NBA this season. Um, Humongous winner. He gets to play with Luka. I know it's not the cleanest fit, and we'll see how long he's there with Jalen Brunson. Um, Maybe they side with him over Brunson, who's a free agent this summer. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. But Washington just seems like a miserable place. This seems like a pretty desperate move, honestly. A weird move, a strange move. Um, Yeah, so... Shout out to Montres Harrell. Um, the vibes in Charlotte are strong. And I I would love to see Spencer kind of get back on the right track, the track that he was on when he was in Brooklyn.
4: Yeah, I like I like that Charlotte deal too, quietly. I mean, Harold uh I think he fits there. I mean, they're gonna play up and down. He'll get up and down the floor, he'll get a lot of minutes at like that four five spot. Um, they didn't give up anything real for it, so you know I think it's a good flyer for the Charlotte, for the Hornets to take.
5: I got to be honest, I didn't love that move for Charlotte. I, their biggest problem I mean, is didn't they love that they move for Charlotte. Turn,
4: like <laughs> they they a Miles Turner bad there, but like the after that Sabonis trade. Like I mean, there was some talk, it. and I wrote I, this. But, I wrote this during the week. Like, there was some talk about like I, I heard Detroit would, like wanted to do Jeremy Grant for for Turner, and Indiana didn't want to do it. Like Indiana want like believes. Turner fits this new group uh, that w- that well, so you know that that was the guy they wanted, and
5: he was wasn't on the table. I'm with you that like it's a low risk move for Charlotte. Why not? Uh, to me, it just doesn't really. They needed a big, but they needed someone. They have one of the worst defenses in the league. They can already score. They also already have like a a backup undersized five in, in PJ Washington, uh, who I like more than Mantras Harrell. I, I want him to play more. I think he has been in a tough spot, the amount of minutes they managed to play at center and go up against other bigs. So I get it in terms of, like, the opportunity cost was low or whatever you want to say. I just, like you said, I mean, maybe that guy wasn't out there, but I, I don't love it in the sense that I think Charlotte has the same need tomorrow and today as they did yesterday, which is I think they need more defense at the five.
2: Sure, but like they're so far from being a, a legitimately competitive basketball team, and their timeline—they're so
5: far. That's they're they're like around five hundred. Are in they the winning? A, are
2: they are they are they winning a playoff series this year?
5: <laughs> Listen, the no. East playoffs are going to be crazy, but th- that's absurd to me that they no, you're no, saying they type, shouldn't try to make the playoffs with Lamelo and no, their and timeline
2: Bridges? their timeline is built around Lamelo Ball. It's very long. They have plenty of time to work on the defense. They gave up absolutely nothing to get Montres Harrell, who is um, an ideal offensive complement for LaMelo Ball, makes his life a lot easier. So I don't... So like, you're saying they I, should start him over
5: Plumlee? I'm,
2: no, I never said that at all. No. <laughs> I
5: just think that that team is not going to defend any of the idea that they should not try to address one of their needs. Like, do you think Harrell is going to be there long term?
2: No, it... The vibes are strong. It's just—it's like one of those <laughs> trades. It's like who cares? Like they gave up nothing. They got a really good player, who uh, an okay player who was really good at the start of this season. And when he's like locked in and he's he's enjoying his role, uh, Montrez is really good. So, and I'm sure he'll be motivated to to uh, re up his value in free agency. So, yeah, I, I, like it's just like it's one of those trades is so inconsequential that i I can't
5: forgive me for just wanting charlotte to win you're right i should i shouldn't have (laughs) wanted them to try to make the playoffs or or try to make the team better or or take advantages of the success they've had this season Rohan, they got something for nothing like i agree i agree exactly i don't think he's a a great fit but you know sure
3: also he's a really good quote so the charlotte media just won props to the charlotte media
0: yeah there are some things that are too good to keep a secret
2: Okay, so um, we've we're now thirty four minutes into this podcast, um, and we haven't seriously discussed the Boston Celtics, oh, God. who have brace yourself, Rohan. No, no, this is the uh,
3: winners' pod. We're gonna get to the losers' pod <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. after. <laughs> Stop,
3: Howard. Howard back, you and I are gonna tongue. have to
5: really just form a, a wall here. In um, the immortal There's words of Stan of, Van
2: Gundy, a lot of Celtics propaganda about to come out. Yeah, yeah. Oh God. I I think the Celtics had a really good day. Um, I I'm, shocked. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Derek White. I think that they didn't give up a ton to get a guy who's in his prime, who fits Tatum and Jalen, who's under contract for the next three years, um, who is already familiar with Ime Udoka's, um, system and has a relationship with him. Ime Udoka is probably super excited to not have to play Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder anymore. Um, it's I, like, I don't know what the criticism is for this trade. I think it's a really smart one. And the Celtics have been arguably the best team in the Eastern Conference since the, cl- the since the calendar turned to 2022. So like the fact that they were aggressive in buying here is also, I think should be, um, Seen as you know, it, it put in the winning category if we're if we're categorizing these things like this. So I I, I liked it for Boston. I liked their day. I liked the players I'm bringing in Tice for Dennis Schroeder. Great, like <laughs> great. awesome move. He's a great role player. Like what is, what is the issue?
4: I don't know. I don't know what the issue is. I think the issue is is obviously they gave up a first round pick in this deal, and everyone gets worked up when you give up draft capital even though you know the Celtics most recent draft capital was having a fun time being stapled to the bench for every single game over this recent winning streak I mean Romeo Lankford who was traded in this deal has done nothing in what three years Aaron Neesmith in year two is doing nothing Peyton Pritchard in year two is doing nothing hopefully he'll do a little bit more now that Dennis Schroeder is out I mean Richardson was a pretty good player for them um he had the trust of Udoka, especially over some of these young guys. Pretty good defensive player. Made some shots in some key games. Actually won a couple of games for him, really, during this recent stretch with some of his shooting. Uh, so it's fine. And look, I I, I I like Derek White. He fits into their defensive identity. Like, you play Derek White and Marcus Smart together in that backcourt, you're really tough uh, in that backcourt defensively. Uh, Tice, you know, I, I'm not going to say he understands the system. It was a different system than the one he was there playing with, but he understands... The guys there, like Al Horford, mm-hmm. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, he's played with them. He was a well-liked guy when he was in Boston, so um, yeah, that that's not a bad swap right there considering Schroeder was not going to be back uh, next year. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I would call them kind of a mild winner. I don't know that, that White, you know, I, I don't think the addition of Derek White makes me believe they'll win a playoff series against one of the top four teams in the conference, but I think they did get, incrementally better at the deadline
3: i mean trades can be good and can be a net win without it necessarily being a complete game changer right like i Mm -hmm. i think michael you put it well like Derek white was a good acquisition tice is a good acquisition dumping some players that they clearly had not much enthusiasm for like all it's all positive i I don't know what it ultimately does for the celtics shorter long term um but good moves. Underrated part of this is that uh, Tice for Schroeder means we got two Germans traded for each other on the same day that we had Bertans (laughs) and Porzingis, two Latvians being traded for each other. I don't, that's got to be some sort of weird record somebody could record somewhere in some obscure encyclopedia. (laughs) I just thought I'd note that.
5: Um, In all seriousness, I will say that, yeah, those were like smart, like, I I think I saw somebody sweet Brad Stevens keep sitting singles. Like, those are just good, like, You know, play it forward moves like they weren't going to re-sign Schroeder. They turned him into three more years of Derek White, uh, who fits in very nicely there. I'm I'm less excited about Tice only because I think that Rob Williams and Grant Williams should be getting most of the minutes in the front court. I just don't know how much Tice is going to end up factoring into the rotation there. They are also correct me if I'm wrong, but they got to sign a bunch of players, right? Like they're way below. Uh, the roster minimum, they got to sign at least two Mannix is saying, so I'm interested to see what they do kind of in the buyout market because I agree that they you know, they bolstered some positions. I I still want to see you know, who's going to be great for them in a playoff rotation and frankly just still feels like they need a couple more guys because they have like really good talent in terms of who they acquired, but they just feel a little thin to me at the moment. I wonder, just a side note to that Celtics deal, like does Houston even keep
4: schroeder do they like I'm, no but like, that was like, weird that like, a like, dennis schroeder yeah. in that mix for the rest of the season with Jalen green <laughs> and kevin porter jr like it's tough all no. No. all I, for none and none for all Got like, let's just i, I, <laughs> I mean dennis schroeder is gonna try to get his over the final month of the season because he's got a contract coming up like i i don't know how that helps steven's like steven styles must have been like oh really like you, you <laughs> needed to move Tice to you know they weren't They they weren't their two big lineup wasn't good at all. Like nothing was really good in Houston, but like their two big lineup certainly wasn't good. But um, I I don't see how Schroeder helps that team do anything down the stretch.
3: I mean it's five forty eight Eastern time on Thursday. I'm stunned that we haven't already heard of a Schroeder buyout by now. I thought that was automatic.
5: (laughs) No seriously, like it just yeah. It's I agree. If
3: you're going if you're going to mothball John Wall for the entire season because you're going young and you want. You know uh, Porto Jr. and Green to get all the the reps and all the shots and all the ball handling fine. Uh, so, but if, if you're not playing Wall, why are you playing Schroeder? I, I do expect a buyout. I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen. I think the real question is is you know where does Schroeder land? Uh, that's probably a question for another day. Um, Los Angeles, we will welcome <laughs> you back. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so.
5: I I have to imagine they the don't. Lakers are desperate enough they're, now. They're to,
3: desperate to, enough, to but back. like I don't. Does Schroeder want to go back after the way he was basically just... He's got like, nothing to lose. That'd be, that'd be strange. I mean, logical but strange.
5: Yeah.
3: Um. By the way, we have not mentioned, I don't think, other than in passing, the Milwaukee Bucks, who picked up Sergi Ibaka, mm. which I think absolutely... Once you put the blockbuster aside, I think the Bucks are the biggest winners of the day, in part because I don't think anybody did enough to chase them down from behind necessarily. Uh, they are the defending champs. They've had a hole at center since Brooke Lopez went down. I, uh, I cannot imagine he's coming back. I know they keep saying, oh, he might come back. I, yeah, he's got back problems, back surgery, whatever. He's not coming back this season. I, I mean, I hope he does. But um, Ibaka can could do, could do a lot of the same things. Protect the rim, shoot threes, stretch the defense. He's won a championship. He's, you know, a uh, good locker room dude, good personality. And the, the Bucks got a little bit stronger. Uh, they didn't need a lot, but that was a need.
4: I like good that locker move. room guy for sure. Yeah. Good, good locker room guy for sure. But like, what version of Serge Ibaka is yeah. are
3: they getting? Like,
4: this is yeah, he's played what thirty somewhat games this year, is averaging like fifteen minutes a game. Like, he's he's not the guy we saw in Toronto. No,
3: but sure. in the in the last couple of weeks, he had a game where he put up uh, fourteen points and eleven rebounds with a couple of blocks in twenty-two minutes. The next game, put up. 20 points, eight rebounds, two more blocks in 33 minutes. Like what, when he plays minutes, he's, he's putting up numbers and it it just took him a while, I think to get healthy again. And yeah, you're right. A lot of miles on him. Um, I don't know that you're going to get that night in night out, but like in Milwaukee, you don't need a ton. It's like Brooke Lopez was putting up monster numbers.
5: Yeah. I I do think that, you know, they obviously signed him with the intent that he's going to play off Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Right. And that didn't really materialize even for large stretches of last season or obviously the playoffs. I like the move from Milwaukee. I think you're right, Howard. He can do a lot of the things that Lopez does in terms of spacing the floor. Uh, you know, being that anchor and drop coverage. I just like the deal less every minute over twenty. Ibaka play in the playoffs. I, I just think he's he's that kind of guy now. Uh, Portis, I think, is taking on a big role there. Saw him; he was playing fantastic against the Lakers the other night. So I, I like the move, and I think. Bud will will probably use him properly, but I just would not expect him to play big minutes in the playoffs. I, I think that those days, at least, for a or Duck. And I don't
3: think they need him for big minutes yeah. in the playoffs necessarily. And and Portis's emergence makes it um, a luxury, but it means you don't have to over-rely on him, and, and it, it, you're just yeah. always good to have another
5: useful big around. I, I will say it's a pretty quick sell on DiVincenzo, who this was kind of the first year he's ever had, really, where he was struggling a lot in large part because I think he was still kind of finding his legs after that injury. But he's been like a, a really good 3 and D combo guard for that minute. Like sneaky good pickup for the Kings, I got to say. They can match any deal he gets in the summer. I, I think he can play – he can back up Fox and Mitchell. He can play alongside them in some small lineups. I think that was actually a really solid move for Sacramento.
3: It was. And the guy that they wanted as the centerpiece of the aborted Bogdan Bogdanovich <laughs> – Sign in, illegal <laughs> yeah. sign-in trade that got blown up. <laughs> so they finally got their man in DiVincenzo.
2: I guess when I when I look at this trade, <clears throat> you know, the bucks have been pretty inconsistent all season. My first takeaway was yeah, Brooke Lopez. This is Brooke Lopez insurance slash Brooke Lopez probably isn't coming back and that's a problem. But I, I just go back to, I look at some of the pieces that went out in this trade. Um, Rodney Hood, Chemi Ojale, and it's like why didn't you just bring back PJ Tucker? Like it goes back <laughs> to that for me, and maybe it shouldn't. I shouldn't be grading this trade off of that decision, but I don't think Serge Ibaka is going to be a productive player in their their playoff rotation. Um, we'll see, you know, if they're able to pick someone up um, in a buyout situation. But the Bucks are like I don't know. Like you got Pat Connaughton. Like who's going to be closing games for them? It's like Pat Connaughton, now that Dante DiVincenzo is just out of the rotation, and these other guys didn't really work out. It's like Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen. Grayson's
5: been decent this season.
2: Sure. Yeah, no, maybe. Um,
5: I I guess we'll see. There's just question marks to me. Yeah, it, it is. I'm with you. that, And I think it's honestly, frankly, fair to judge them for losing Tucker. That probably shouldn't have happened. For what it's worth, I mean, Connaughton was shooting the lights out of the ball in the finals. He had picked a good time to have the best series of his life. I do think that the Bucks benefit so greatly from they just don't have to ask anyone to do too much when Drew, Giannis, and Chris are all on the floor. So whoever the two guys they slot in next to them, whether it's Portis, whether it's Ibaka, whether it's Connaughton, whether it's Allen, they're all so fortunate that they just don't get asked to do too much.
3: Yeah, I'm not quibbling can over I, who their fourth or fifth closing player is at this stage. It's yeah, fair. Can I,
4: can I say a, a word to on the winners and uh, the winners bracket on New Orleans? because I'm Mm. actually a fan of, like, I I love C.J. McCollum. Like, I I don't, C.J. McCollum had always been, I thought, overly dissected because it didn't work in port. Like, Lillard McCollum, you couldn't build something around them, so it was, you have to get rid of C.J. You're still talking about a guy that puts up 20 regularly, um, can be a lead guard when he has to, can play off the ball when he has to, a whole bunch of different things. And that Pelicans team needed exactly what he brings to the table and they didn't really give up a heck of a lot like they gave up you know that first round pick um which again is fine but depends what you do with it and you know some spare parts josh hart uh, a couple other guys like you know they they didn't give up any of their core guys now you've got a scoring guard opposite a great scoring small forward in brandon ingram knock on wood whenever the hell zion comes back you've at least got kind of the You've got the core of something now. And CJ, I know, is on the other side of 30. He makes a lot of money, yada, yada, yada. But, like, you know, I think they make a playoff, the playoffs of the play in this year. And if Zion can get back on the court next year, they could live up to some of that potential. Maybe be like a middle of the pack playoff team in the Western Conference.
3: I agree. I agree. I mean, I know, like, look, a lot of the like traditional, um, Idioms or, or 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 just principles, like we all hang our hat on an NBA discussions, like, oh, you know, you gotta worry about the time horizon, like you know, McCollum's too old for this group. <laughs> it's about Zion and, and Ingram and all this stuff. Yes and no. Like you still have to show progress at some point. You still need to start winning at some point. You have to have a winning environment at some point. You need to ma- get your young guy's playoff experience at some point. And CJ isn't that old. Um and he's he's battle-tested, he's been in deep playoff runs. And that, that they could just use some stability there on a bunch of different levels, but not least of which is having a player who is a a, a clear leader. Like he's president of the Players Association. Um, can score, can handle the ball, can make plays. And I think also, you know, has been through enough that like he can be, to the extent that they still need a leader there, and I think they do. Like, your best score is not always your leader. Zion's too young to be their leader. Ingram's kind of a quiet dude. Like, I think CJ could be a galvanizing player. Force there. And I know a lot of people view this through the cynical prism of Griff is David Griffin is just trying to save his job. but Yeah, probably. Uh, there's a little bit of that too. It's, it's not an insignificant piece of this, but I think that that aligns with the uh, the team goal anyway, in this case, which is that they needed to start getting better. They need to show Zion some reason to want, like he's going to sign the extension. Max and I have talked about, it's like, there's no way that he's not going to sign the extension. But still, you need to give him reason to have faith in what you're doing and in your in your trajectory.
5: Can somebody explain what happened with Lonzo Ball and the Pelicans? Because I don't I don't want to harp on something that's old news and is, is never going to get fixed. But I, just, could you imagine if he was on the scene and then they could still make so, the column trade?
3: I know a little bit about this. Um, cause this, it was a discussion I had early in the season when I was still trying to process this myself, right? Like they, first they traded drew holiday. Then they let Lonzo walk for nothing. And then, you know, essentially then you, you you, like, where are your playmakers? Like you, you, they went and Mm -hmm. ran up and got, uh, what's his face? Graham. Graham. Yeah. Um, it didn't make much sense to me either. And McCollum helps kind of fix what they did by vacating all of their, their, you know, ball handling guards. Um, They saw Alonzo as a great open court passer who they thought did not function as well in the half court. That great in transition, incredible passer. But once you got down into a set, um, you know, not much of a shooter. His passing at that point becomes a little less, uh, you know, creative, effective. They just they didn't see him as a true point guard, at least in a half court
2: set. That's my understanding.
5: That's a that's a tough yeah, one they, for them.
2: I, they they probably whiff there, but <clears throat> I, I second everything you guys are saying. Like, I I love this move for the Pelicans, and it's like I see so much criticism of CJ McCollum's age and contract, and it's like if you're New Orleans, that market, this is how you get talent. Like, sometimes yeah. you just gotta pay more money, and it's yeah. fine. Like that's just how you bring talent in. So sure he's not on the timeline but yeah you get a respectable locker room presence who by the way like in a play in environment like CJ Cooks so anything can happen if CJ's got it going and Zion's healthy and Brandon Ingram is on your wing like he like this team i feel like offensively can be pretty pretty interesting in a play in format, and then who knows what can happen beyond. I mean, we know that they will get absolutely spanked in the first round by the Suns or the Warriors, but um, making the playoffs this year after the 1 12 start would just be like a, a humongous step forward for this organization. So I, I like this trade, honestly. And
5: I just want to throw out I like Larry Nance there too. I know he's going to get surgery, but I, I don't, I'm not going to say they're going to be good defensively, but I could see the fit with him and Zion in the front court kind of working out i just like nance in that role so i, I agree I, I think it's a very solid trade for them.
3: and he's only 30 by the way McCollum. like it's yeah. in today's nba that's not that old anymore
0: there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table hey where are you coming
2: It isn't um, okay. So I, I think like the since we're bringing up old trades, relatively old trades, and this is a winners um, podcast, uh, I feel like the Indiana Pacers won the lottery <laughs> a few days ago, and I know that you guys touched on this in your last episode, so we don't need to to dissect it too deeply, but. Uh, Yeah, getting Tyrese Halliburton. Like, I'm sorry, just like I'm still shell shocked by this. Even after everything that has transpired since, it's it's amazing. Frankly, I I watched Domas Sabonis last night. Played pretty well in his first game in Sacramento, and the crowd there was was very hyped. They beat the Timberwolves. Um, It doesn't matter. Like trading Tyrese Halliburton was like a, a, a catastrophic mistake in my opinion. He's a very special talent. And, uh, the way that, uh, you know, when Miles Turner gets back to being healthy, I think, um, the fit there just with everybody makes a lot more sense now. And they also are bad and will have a very good draft pick. So that could get interesting. And I just, if you're just a Pacers fan, you have to be like super, super excited about what's happened over the past few days. Yeah, that just
4: that, that, we're not going to touch on Sacramento here, but like a team that's had some of the most biblically bad draft blunders, like in recent history, specifically the Luka Doncic, Marvin Bagley one uh, to give away your best draft pick in a while is pretty wild. Uh, I, 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 I heard the rationale from people there about why they did it. You know, it's hard to get you know a 25 year old all-star in his prime and they're looking for a guy that can play off of De'Aaron Fox. I get all that, and look, Sabonis looked great um, in his opening game. But uh, I- I'm kind of with you. The Halliburton is the real deal. I'm just I'm curious to see now what like now that the Sabonis Turner pairing has been broken up, and how many years running have we been hearing like that didn't work? Like Indiana has known that didn't work
3: for, like three years now. Well, it's, it's like, like Lilian McCollum. It's, it's the front court like, version of Lilian McCollum. But it's
4: no. But even like back then, like. Neil O'Shea was telling us it did work. Like nobody in Indiana was telling us like Sabonis and Turner worked. Like it just <laughs> it never it never really came up. I'm curious to see like how they go into next season with, you know, Brogdon back and do they keep Buddy here? I mean, like just like What's all the
5: Warren, yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, they've got they've got a lot of of interesting pieces where they could play a fast game, good small ball, Turner as a five surrounded by a shooting four. Uh They could be a really interesting offensive team, and Rick Carlisle has been a good offensive coach uh, in the past. So uh, they they got a lot more interesting, that's for sure, in this uh, this deadline.
3: Miles Turner said earlier this season in an interview that he didn't want to be pigeonholed as just a three-point spot-up shooter and shot blocker, that he could do a lot more if he had the opportunity to do it with Sabonis gone. Maybe he gets that opportunity. We'll see the full range and depth of Miles Turner's offensive game, perhaps. (laughs)
5: Miles Turner needs to log off TikTok. Uh, he needs to <laughs> stop giving interviews. He's just got a lot going on. Never encourage
3: people who are good interviews to stop giving interviews. We, that you were trying to put us out You're of right. business. You're world. right. Stop. You're right. Amen. That's a good Amen. point.
5: That's a great point, Howard. I'll just say Miles Turner is doing a lot for somebody who a is not even playing right now. B has been like a disappointment, like an underachiever for most of his career. Like, let's get a little momentum going first. Uh, Let's like string together a month or two of good basketball uh, before you start doing all this. That's all I'm going to say.
2: So I I feel like we're coming uh, to the end of this episode, but but Rohan, I just want to throw it to you. Um, Pat Riley, humongous transaction with the Oklahoma City Thunder (laughs) uh, franchise altering. You know, I just want to give you the floor.
5: I mean, you joke when you say franchise altering, but when they package Duncan Robinson and a first-round pick for Jalen Brown this summer, uh, a first-round pick that they could (laughs) not have traded before. In all seriousness, (laughs) I
2: don't
5: don't think the Heat, I don't know why the Heat would have to do anything. They're in first place. Everyone in the East is looking up at them. They're going to get Oladipo back. Uh, I think that's their quote-unquote addition. This is
2: sad. I feel bad for you. I feel bad not, for you. What are you going to do when the Heat aren't in first place anymore? What is going to be the rallying cry?
4: It'll be I, I, looking at, I look at what Dwayne Wade did with Joe Ingles.
2: That'll be the rallying <laughs> cry.
5: Again, you you are asking me about the Heat. I'm telling you my answer. The simple fact is they are in first place. They're in first place with their three best players hardly playing together. I, I don't know why I need to be worried, especially from a team that still needs to make it through the playoffs through the playoffs.
2: This is keeping you up at night, and I truly love it. I'm enjoying it from afar.
5: Um, I just hope the Celtics continue on this hot streak and host a playing game so Kyrie Irving can play and ruin yet another Celtics season. That would be. <laughs>
2: I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Um uh thank you so much Rohan, thank you Howard, thank you Chris. Uh we will be recording part 2 now so everyone go over to <clears throat> the crossover NBA show listen to us discuss uh losers from uh today's NBA Trade deadline. Also, a quick reminder to please keep your emails coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Everybody, please stay safe. Everybody, please continue to enjoy the NBA season.
1: WORK.
0: Zumo Play.